first reading is from Acts 10, verses 34 to 43. It can be found on page 1104 of your church Bibles. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised, raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. The baptism and temptation of Jesus. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. 
the calling of the first disciples. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is that better? Great. So we've had two terms um, of preparation for our year of mission. You remember the first term was, um, was getting ready, was preparing, was up in the lighthouse, reminding ourselves why the year of mission is important. Uh, then we had a term uh, in the uh, lifeboat house, uh, equipping ourselves, getting ready for the launch. And then this term is the launch as we set out to share our faith. Um, and as we do that, um, right at the beginning of this term, uh, we are uh, thinking about and practicing three absolutely vital skills that we need in order to be able to share our faith. So the first is sharing our own story of faith. And uh, we were looking at that last week and we practiced it last week and now this morning. Uh, the second, a uh, key skill is l learning how to share the gospel story, the story of, um, of the good news of Jesus. And we're looking at that now. And then next week we'll be looking at praying with people who don't know Jesus so that the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the power of uh, these two great stories of our story and of the gospel story can come to bear upon their lives. So, once we've got people's attention with our story, we need to be able to explain the gospel story, the good news of Jesus, what that actually is. And to help us with that, we've got two excellent passages today from the New Testament. Many thanks to Neil for choosing them for us. Sadly, I haven't got time to do, do justice to them both. I would love to do that, but it would take rather longer. So I'm going to focus on the one from, uh, from Acts chapter 10. You'll find that in, on page 1104. If you could look that up in your Bibles, page 1104. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Page 1104. Acts 10, verse 34. So here is Peter, uh, one of the closest friends of Jesus, explaining who Jesus is and what that means. And this is the first time he's done that with anybody who wasn't um, already 
a member of God's people, a Jew. So he's starting from scratch here. Interesting, just beforehand, we've already had two testimonies. Cornelius, the Roman centurion, has shared how God spoke to him in a vision and told him to send for Peter. And Peter has shared in return how God spoke to him in a vision and told him to be ready to go despite the unusual circumstances. So they've already told each other their stories. And now Cornelius asked Peter to tell him the gospel story, although he doesn't realise quite yet that that's what he's doing. So Peter takes a deep breath and he launches in. And what follows is a succinct summary of the good news of Jesus, crammed with crucial, relevant points. I'd be proud, I have to say, to be able to write so much about Jesus, so much that's vital and useful in just 230 words, let alone say it in a sermon. I suspect, therefore, that this is a digest of what Peter actually said, which is really helpful for us. So what does Peter choose to include in his presentation of the gospel story? The first thing he says is that the good news is for everyone. That's verses 34 and 35. The good news is for everyone. So don't let anyone tell you that the Christmas or Easter stories are just for Christians, exclusive stories. No, Easter and Christmas are for everybody in the whole world, whatever their experience and whatever their current faith or religion. Secondly, it's good news, that's verse 36. Although the behaviour of Christians can um, add credibility or the opposite to the gospel, nonetheless the gospel isn't defined by how church members behave. It isn't bad news to become a Christian, even though there may be some bad Christians out there. It's good news. As Paul would later say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jews, and then for those who aren't Jews. First for the Christians, and then for those who aren't Christians. Thirdly, it's good news of peace. Here's Paul again. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been brought close to God and we are no longer at war with him, but at peace with him. As Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And it's not, the world, it's not a peace which the world can give. Fourthly, this gospel, this good news of peace is only through Jesus. Jesus, again, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Fifthly, Jesus is Lord of all, of everyone. Again, this is merely good news for Christians. Jesus is our Lord. Everyone is included. That's fantastic. It's also a challenge that no one can escape from. Jesus is Lord of everyone. So who is this Jesus through whom this good news comes to us? Okay, well, says Peter, firstly, he is God's anointed, verse 38. 
which is the English translation of the Hebrew Messiah and of the Greek Christ. Jesus is anointed, he is chosen as God's agent. Secondly, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, that's God's presence and with power. So he can bring you to the Father and he can make a difference to your life. Thirdly, Jesus does good and he heals and he delivers from evil. No matter how compromised or inadequate or powerless the church might seem to be, and no matter what goes wrong in our lives, Jesus is good and Jesus does good. Fourthly, God is with him and through him, God is with us too. Sixthly, and, oh, I got that wrong. Fourthly, God is with Jesus. Fifthly, because God was with him, Jesus entered the place of evil. Jesus was crucified. That's verse 39. This is important for three reasons. Firstly, so we can't reinvent the history of Jesus just to suit us and our theology, which is what Islam seeks to do denying that Jesus ever died. Secondly, it means that Jesus and God in him has stepped right into the place of our worst suffering, identifying with us. And thirdly, because of what happens next, which is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 40. This is it. This is the good news. Without this, there is no other good news. Only a good example. The resurrection of Jesus shows us he was more than a good but suffering man. And the resurrection shows us that crucifixion isn't the last word. It's not the end of the story. So whatever suffering you or I are in, whatever suffering and struggle the world is going through, there is resurrection power which can change things. And that is what commissions us. The resurrection gives us our task, our job. Because, seven, Jesus gave this witness to the church, verses 41 and 2. Jesus didn't appear to the world, he appeared to his disciples, and he commanded them to share what they had witnessed. And this has got two implications. Firstly, that God, and in Jesus, chose the church as his channel of salvation. So those who say the church doesn't matter, it's not necessary because God can speak directly without the church, they're wrong. Well, yes, he could, but he didn't. He chose to use the church in order to preach, in order to share his message of salvation. And that means, secondly, that we too, as disciples of Jesus, are God's chosen witnesses in the world. It's not an option. So, eighthly, Jesus is judge of the living and the dead. That's verse 42. He's the judge of those that we speak to. He's not just a moral bar that we all have to get over, but he is our, he is their actual judge before and at and after death. They and we will stand before him and bear account. They'll bear account for their thoughts and their words and their actions. 
So it isn't only his goodness and his purity that judges them, but also how they respond to him, which is very bad news if they ignore him or hate him. On the other hand, it's very good news if they trust him, because faith in Jesus is available to all, to anyone, and anyone who has faith in Jesus receives forgiveness. And therefore, reconciliation and peace with God. As Jesus said, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him isn't condemned, but whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already, because he hasn't believed in the name of God's one and only son. That is very stark. Bad news and very good news. Okay, so that's the gospel in three times as many words as Peter used. So let's boil it back down again and let's try to do it in a way that we can remember it when we need it. However we share the gospel story, the good news of Jesus with others, we're going to find that there are three stages to it which we see in Peter's presentation. The gospel story has a shape. Firstly, we all have a need. As Peter says, God has appointed Jesus as judge over us all, and we all have sin which needs forgiving. Secondly, as Peter tells Cornelius, it's all about Jesus, what he's done for us. It's he who makes the difference. And thirdly, we need to respond. We need to believe in Jesus and so receive that forgiveness. Jesus himself gives this same shape to the gospel story in his preaching of the gospel. We got that in the last phrase in our gospel reading that we heard. Jesus says, the time is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. On your handouts, which you'll find either underneath you or on a seat beside you or on the floor where you put it. Uh, there should be one between two, so there should be enough around for you to look at them. On the handout, we've put three different models, different ways of sharing the gospel story. And we've given a couple of examples of each. You choose the way that you think is easiest, but it, whichever one you choose, you'll see that it's got the same shape. Our need, what Jesus has done, our response. The first model for sharing the good news is one uh, is uh, using letters, uh, like an acronym or, or letters, to, uh, to spell out the gospel message. And uh, the first one is the one that Neil used on Easter Day to share the gospel with us. Um, spells out life, L-I-F-E. L is for the love that God, God has for me, L for love. I am the reason he died on the tree. F is for forgiveness, and now I am free. E is to enjoy in his company forever. Once you've remembered the letters, it's fairly easy to explain what they stand from. And you could add some Bible verses, one to each of them, which would 
uh, give a bit of kind of weather uh, to what you're doing. The one below is the one that I was taught years ago, the ABC of faith. A, admit your need, we're all in a mess. B, believe in Jesus, he did everything that's necessary. C, count the cost. Entry is free, but the subscription is everything you've got. It's a lifelong subscription. And D, do it. All you have to do is ask. Second model, below that, in scripture. Uh, so that's just using a selection of scriptures to kind of work you through the story. Um, there are two sets on your sheet. Uh, the first one is the one that I use. Um, and I use these three because they give me three simple illustrations from Scripture which I can use. So the first one is about sheep, and that's helpful for me because once upon a time my father was a, a, a sheep farm owner, and so I worked uh, when I was uh, a student uh, as a shepherd's minion uh, doing all the unpleasant jobs. And the thing I can tell you about sheep from my own personal experience is they are utterly stupid. Okay, so you can have a big gateway through to a lovely field of grass and they can all be standing in the gateway entrance and they absolutely refuse to go through. And then one of them will find a hole in the fence next to the gate and it will push its way through. And you know, they'll all follow that, 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 that sheep through the hole in the fence to exactly the same place they could all have easily gone through through the open gate. Stupid. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone everyone to his own on to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God sent Jesus to rescue us and bring us back from where we've gone astray, back from death to life. And then the next one I use is, is so that I can use this little illustration that I was taught long, long ago at a Bible camp. Okay, so this is the transfer of our sin to Jesus. So um, in Peter, uh, we hear Christ died for sins once for all. The, well, it's like, okay, it's like we, we have a blockage between us and God. We can't see God. There's another verse that Isaiah uses where he says, God's saying, it's not, it's not that I've grown deaf and I can't hear you, or blind and I can't see you, or my arm is short and I can't rescue you. It's your sin which have made a separation between you and me. But in Jesus, the one who was righteous took our unrighteousness on him so that he became unrighteous and we had the righteousness of God. So suddenly there's no separation between us and God anymore and we are free to have a relationship with him. And my last Bible verse is, uh, I don't know if you remember that, um, that painting by Holman Hunt. I should have had a picture up here, I'm sorry of Jesus as the light of the world standing in front of a door. So there's a door either side of you, just look at the door. On these doors, so like, no, not like either of these doors, there's no handle on the outside, okay? The handle can only open on the inside. And Jesus is standing, knocking on the door, okay? And Jesus says, I stand at the door of your life. If you will open the door, I will come in and I will eat with you and you with me. And we will have friendship and fellowship together. So those are my three Bible verses which allow me to talk through our need, what Jesus has done, and our response. We need to open the door. On the other side, there's another set, 
that walk through a few verses in Romans um, doing the same job. And then the third way that we've, uh, we've put down here to explain it are using pictures so that you could kind of draw them on a napkin or whatever. You'll see that there are four pictures there, uh, the heart, uh, the cross, the, the cross and the question mark, and, and you can probably figure out what those means, but, but you can look at the uh, website addresses underneath and that will, oh, sorry, above it, and that will give you, no, underneath, and uh, that will explain it more to you. But there's another one that's there as well, and I gather that James knows this uh, particular way of explaining the gospel, so I've invited him to come up here, and I hope there's a pen there. Um, why don't you... Uh, this takes me back a bit. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got mic'd up. Uh, so if you, if you go online, you'll find uh, a website with some interesting Australian chaps on uh, called Two Ways to Live, uh, which you can look up after the service. But I'm going to try and talk you through it and see if I can remember from when we did it in our house group. Um, so my art is fantastic, a bit like Adam's. <laughs> uh, Having studied physics at university, my art is, uh, is something to be, uh, to be envied. Uh, so uh, bear with me with this one. Um, there's, uh, there's six, six um, frames to this narrative. Uh, we start off with how it all began. So God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world. He made us rulers of the world under him. In Revelation 4.11... Um, it says, uh, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But that's not the way it is now. We have all rejected the rule of God by trying to run life our own way without him. But we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. In Romans 3, chapter 3, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have gone astray. What will God do about this rebellion? Well, he won't let us rule, rebel forever. God's judgment, justice for uh, rebellion, is death and judgment. In... Uh, Hebrews 9.27, it says, Man is destined to die once and then to face judgment. God's justice sounds hard, harsh even. Yet, because of his great love, he sent his son into the world, the man we know of as Jesus Christ. Jesus was unique among all people, for he always lived under God's rule. Uh, he was obedient to the point of dying on the cross. By dying on the cross, he, uh, he took our punishment and brought forgiveness. Took the punishment we deserve and brought forgiveness. So in 1 Peter 3.18, it said, says, Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. But that's not all. God has raised Jesus to life again as ruler of the world. 
By rising from the dead, Jesus has conquered death, now brings new life, and will return to judge the living and the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 In his great mercy, God has raised Jesus to life... uh, No, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So where does that leave us? Well, there are two paths we can choose from here. Either we can continue to try to run life our own way without God, rejecting his rule over our lives and trying to run things our own way without him knowing that that will lead to death and judgment. Or we can follow God's new way, submitting to Jesus as our ruler, knowing that that will lead to forgiveness and eternal life. John 3.36 summarises this. So it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's fantastic, James, thank you. And that just demonstrates that you can actually learn something like that in life group or whatever, um, practice it with others, and then you have it ready to hand. So whichever way you prefer, choose a way of doing it, and then learn some Bible verses to go with each step, and then practice with each other, which will mean that when someone like Cornelius asks you what the Christian faith is all about, Then, after you've picked yourself up off the floor in astonishment, you will be able to do it. As Peter later said to the early church, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to bring this good news, that we might repent and believe it and so find eternal life. Help us to be ready to explain it when next you prompt someone through our witness to ask us. May Christ speak his good news through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. And perhaps we can all pray our year of mission prayer together. Lord, Help your servants speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus.